Opinions expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to WGBB's Sports Talk New York. I'm your host this evening, Mike Udone, often referred to as a coach. I'll take it if that's if that's what I'm called. I've been called a lot worse, but very, very happy to be joined tonight by my friend, my cohort, my assistant coach, and my player for a couple of years. We call him Cappy. That's Chris Caputo. Chris, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me on. Hey, listen, it's it's my pleasure. We've got a lot to talk about tonight, folks. Uh, we're going to encourage and, and hope to get your calls in a little later on in the show. We have so much to discuss. Uh, this is the best time of the year, Cap, I'll tell you, because you're talking about, you know, football giants won today. I don't know how much we're going to get into that, but um, not not a real barn burner at 14-7, but nice to, nice to have the giants on the board. Um, we'll talk about the Jets. We'll talk about the Islanders with our man Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria. And then later on, second half, we'll get into a little uh, Mets baseball because that's cap specialty. Along, makes me look like uh, a novice when it comes to that. But uh, also get a little Knicks in there as we're getting, you know, somewhat towards the regular season start. Um, we have a, a trivia question. We're going to add that tonight. Nothing, nothing to give away other than a pat on the back if you get it right. But I'll, I'll, Cap asked me it before, and uh, it, I. I I struggled with it, and he gave me about four or five clues. But I know somebody out there is going to have the answer. Uh, but we're always taking your calls at 516-623-1240. Again, that's 516-623-1240. And um, feel free to call in at any time on any comments, but especially if you think you know the answer to the trivia question. Sounds like it's going to be a fun night. Lots going on, Mike. I, I think it's a good time of the year to – uh, people like their Sundays to watch the football, but there's a lot going on. You got, uh, game six tonight of the, uh, ALCS. Eventually you're going to have, uh, tomorrow night a game six of the NLCS. You've got all kinds of stuff that you can look forward to, including, uh, as we said, the NBA. You can have some, you know, hot stove talk and, um, you know, always something going on that you could talk about in sports, but I, especially here in New York, people are chatting about sports and, um, sometimes it's, it's because maybe who's at the helm, and other times they want their team to win. Exactly, and you bring up a good point, because about wanting your team to win. We were talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, Cap and I, have we go way back in terms of basketball, uh, back in school of the holy child, back in the 90s. Cap played for me in one of my first coaching gigs, and then um, I was lucky enough to have him with me as an assistant coach, Malloy College women's team, NYIT women's team, so... Women's basketball is kind of a passion of both of ours. So we were talking about the Liberty, and that's that's a New York team that, that kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. Uh, but lost in the finals, all right, it's great great to have them be a uh, marquee team for the WNBA. But there were there were a couple of other things that, that struck me just as a women's basketball coach, uh, as, as the father of a daughter and, and – you know, cap same same thing. So let me just get your your overall thoughts. Just first of all, on on where you think the WNBA is going based on this kind of dream matchup, Cappy, that they had with with the Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces. You know, when the WNBA first started, I believe it was the Houston Comets had gone on a huge run of winning Absolutely. like four in a row with 
you know, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Swoops yeah, and, and, Cynthia Cooper. and Cynthia Cooper, right? Those type of players. And it almost became too much because you had a couple of the best players on one team, and every year they dominated. And, you know, Teresa Witherspoon and all the uh, Liberty players then tried to jump in, but, you know, talking women's basketball then was almost like, ah, it's new, but there's a team dominating. And I didn't think a dynasty was good at that point. Right now you've got um, Becky Hammond, two years now, uh, moving over from the, the NBA to the WNBA, and I thought it was probably at the highest it could ever be. Having the Las Vegas Aces, having, you know, the New York Liberty, you know, a big-time program. And and on the stage, you know, you have probably the best player in uh, Stewie, in Brianna Stewart, yep. and also, you know, Sabrina Inescu, and, and also a couple other players on the team are pretty good. Uh, I thought that that was set up. If they could have won that game four and sent it to a fifth game, I think they would have gotten really good ratings. Now, I'm not trying to say they were going to – kill any any big but coming off of what the w the the women's ncaa final was with lsu making this run and he's uh, you know having the girl from iowa clark you know shooting the lights out she never put up less than 22 points in a game everybody wanted to see her so i think kind of things were rolling that way um but i don't think a dynasty for the aces is what everybody needs i think there needs to be that you know, Detroit Pistons, L.A. Lakers type thing. And that's what the Liberty have to do is they have to put up and and, and push that for the next few years. I think, you again, you bring up a great point. And I'm sure there's probably some people out there going, what are you doing leading off with the New York Liberty? Well, it's a great question, and I'm going to tell you why. Because before we get to the Jets and the Islanders and everybody else that everyone's familiar with, I think it's important to, to recognize this fact. The WNBA, all right, for – Young women, for girls, and even, you know, now they, they sold out the Barclays Arena two games. So, you know, guys are getting into it. They had, I think you mentioned 80000 for a uh, exhibition at Iowa, correct? Yeah, 55000 55, in the in the football it, stadium. played in a football stadium, right. yep. Okay, so we're for a scrimmage. Even even better. So here we are. We're, we're, we're in the media. We're talking about this. Now, ESPN holds the rights to the WNBA. They had, at halftime, of the clinching game, they didn't have uh, a, a, a coach. Uh, they didn't have Greg Popovich on talking about the differences with the NBA and the WNBA or, or how proud he was that Becky Hammond. They have on Fat Joe. Now, most of you probably are like, who the heck is Fat Joe? You might know somebody named Joe who's fat. But Fat Joe is a rapper. Now, this guy comes on. And he doesn't even know the names of the players. He says, oh, yeah, that number 22 is a handful. What are you doing? I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot here, guys. And, and as, a, as a women's coach and as a dad, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And here's at the same time, Greg Popovich was saying that he actually was thinking about getting thrown out of his uh his, his preseason, pre-season game, game, just so he can watch his former coach, uh, Becky Hammond, coach on the sideline. But you can't even find a women's coach or a women's player. Gino Oriema. To just chat a little bit. Right. I, Fat Joe. Now, he, I'm all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> now, if Fat Joe had a college basketball background, you know, coached on the side, knew the players' names, all right, let's bring him on. But for Pete's sake, I mean, you have this guy on, and he knows nothing, and he's pregame. 
He's he's halftime. I mean, you're trying to get this product to be high stakes, and you do that. Yeah. And then, and then after the game, of course, it's disappointing. But two of the top Liberty players refused to to go to the media. I mean, and their and their thing was well, the NBA guys get upset and they can do it. We should be able to. No, no, you can't. You want to fly charter. You want this league. You want to be paid the same. You got to bring it stronger than than that. And it it just kind of uh, I know it, it it's an odd thing to start off with tonight, yeah. but I just felt that I needed to address right. it. You got to do the right thing. And it says here, according to WNBA rules, each team's coach and two players must attend the the conference. So, uh, three Liberty players are fined two thousand dollars each for yeah. not turning down a certain interview. But then the Aces were not fined because I guess. Uh, Asia Wilson was doing a post game and they all crashed it. Right. So because they crashed it, now all of a sudden it's you met your responsibility. Come on, step up, answer a few questions. This is when the WNBA is in the spotlight. You know, nobody, there's no other teams playing. Step up, do the right thing. Right. And, and I never in a million years thought, and, and again, as a, as a girls basketball coach, as a former college basketball coach, uh, of, of young women that the liberty would be something I'd want to lead off with. But I'm that, and, and you, I think, feel the same way. We're that passionate about growing the game of basketball. And here we are, you know, we're, we're in the media field right now on the air, WGBB, you know, 1240 AM. Remember the number, 516-623-1240, if you want to weigh in on anything tonight. But grow the game. Players grow the game. ESPN grow the game. Or just leave it alone. But even if they did something unique like crazy let's say the wnba all of a sudden changed the rules and put something else in fine you're promoting the game but by not showing up and and you know kind of putting weird stuff out there i think it does bad things for the wnba i don't know if you were watching but with less than a minute to go one of the teams called timeout and espn it got stuck yes. and they, and and i'm watching this feed and i'm like here you are you got the best thing going on and 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 you can't even show me the last 30 seconds of the game so i think sometimes priorities uh, are not good, and, and I think we got to get back to reality. But it's a good start, good chat. Uh, the two of us are definitely passionate. you got to do the right thing, um, and I think it, it you want these women to, to be good role models for some of our younger players. Absolutely. It's, it's exciting, you know, so I, I got a little 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 ruffled with my feathers, but, you know, I, I am. I'm, I'm happy about it, and, and I think they're definitely heading in the right direction but could do a better job. That being said, we are going to move on to one of our stalwarts here on Sports Talk New York, New York, John Santa Maria, Johnny Sticks. He is our Jets expert. He is our Islanders expert. John, welcome to the program tonight, buddy. Hey, what's going on, guys? We're doing great, man. It's good to have you on. You know, um, one of the first things I thought about, obviously the Jets have been doing great, uh, but Islanders had, had the home opener last week, um, played well other than, you know, a little bit. We'll talk about that. Last night had some had some rough times, um, but I spent opening night for the first time at UBS Arena, and and that was a great experience. So I'm looking forward to to hearing a little bit more of, of your feelings on the Islanders. But let's start with the Jets. Um, at this point, if they would, you know, if you, you would have been told this would be the record after it, no matter who was the quarterback, would you take it? Absolutely, because you know what I said. Even with Aaron Rodgers, whoever it was. Three and three into the bye was probably ideal with anybody looking at what they had for schedule. But more importantly now, looking at today, a half game behind Buffalo, who saw that come after getting yeah, exactly. beat up by the Patriots? 
Yeah, they, they did not look ready to play today at all. No, the the, the Buffalo Bills look like a, a a poser team out there. It, it, it's amazing how sharp they can look, and, and then just how completely befuddled. Um, yeah, I think you had mentioned actually when when we had you on earlier in preseason that three and three would not have been anything uh, to worry about at this point, even with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. Um, over the time now that you've seen a little bit of of Zach Wilson, you know. As the established number one guy, you know, everybody has obviously lots of feelings on that. Um, what do you like about his game now at three and three, and just the confidence that he's bringing to the team? I think the big thing we're seeing from last year is that you're seeing the more experienced play calling, and that's Nathaniel Hackett. I think this is the difference as opposed to last year. Mike Lafleur called an offense where he was pretty much. In, in the nicest way possible, maybe intimidated to be aggressive. I don't see that from Hackett because he's got years of experience doing this job. And I think he has prepared Zach Wilson very well each week for a number of different situations. Look back two weeks ago at the second half in Denver. I don't think you would have saw that last year. The way they, that team came out of the locker room at halftime and just fully took the game over. As prepared as they were for Philadelphia despite the awful decision-making by Nick Sirianni to pretty much hand the Jets the victory, the way the Jets played on both sides of the ball. Yes, a couple of silly penalties here and there, but Zach taking leadership, you wouldn't have seen this in the second half of last year at all. And I think that's a credit to the coaching staff. That's a credit to making the change at OC. And that's where... Robert Sala gets a lot of credit as, as head coach because now and now the pressure's on to keep this going. Hey Johnny, it's Chris here. Um, I just was wondering. Let's just keep it defense, right? At this point, you would have to say, uh, you know, giving up probably the same amount of points that the Jets have scored, which isn't that much. They probably have become one of the the best defenses. Can they help their team just win a game based on what their defense has done, or? Does the offense need to do something in order for them to beat some of the teams ahead? Oh, I think they're going to have to do something. I, and it's just a matter of what it's going to be each week. And I also think the defense is still good enough to force a few more turnovers than they have so far. And I think that the big test is going to be next week when they face the Giants because the Giants' offensive line is still banged up. It's been a weaker unit this year, as we all know, we've talked about, we've heard about Evan Neal and the comments he's made. We know who's not in the lineup. We know how Daniel Jones has been if he comes back and plays quarterback, which I see that very unlikely right now, coming off a win. But I think next week is a real, t- and the Jets have faced Tyrod Taylor before, so I think they could really help out by giving the offense some good field position. It's just a matter of the Jets' offense capitalizing on all those turnovers. The field goals are nice, but eventually you got to turn at least a couple of those into touchdowns, even with good field position. The defense can only do so much. All right, here's a big question. We're going to see some tests. So obviously next week with the Giants and then the Raiders. And what's going to be interesting, too, with the Raiders, who is going to play quarterback? Because Jimmy Garoppolo is nothing but injury problem. Yeah. And they did not look ready to go today. 
Yeah, they got the Giants, uh, Chargers, and Raiders coming up, but you also know that in there, they're going to have to play the Dolphins two more times. So I think at some point the, the Jets are going to have to get to the magic number of nine, and somehow they got to pull out six wins. And, um, you know, some of them are going to have to be within the division, but I think they could do that. It's just that they haven't shown they could beat the Pats. But here's my big question for you, John. What do you think about all the Aaron Rodgers stuff? Do you think there's any chance that he comes back early and, you know, maybe he had this different type of Achilles surgery? And are the Jets putting him out there to give maybe a distraction to the rest of the stuff that's going on? Or is he putting himself out there letting people know, hey, I'm on my way back? Uh, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to believe because an Achilles is something you don't mess around with. I mean, Richard Sherman even said to took him almost a year to recover from that when he was in San Francisco when Robert Sowell was there as well, too. But then again, when you look at Aaron Rodgers and his past, it's like between him and Tom Brady, they really had, they really lucked out. And I, and talking as a Jet fan also and with Tom Brady, you gotta, you at least say this. Those two guys have pretty much lucked out avoiding a lot of major injuries. I mean, Rodgers had some issues with his, um, I think last year he had a thumb injury, but nothing real. He never really had anything severe. So, and he takes care of himself health wise. So that I all know, but it's like I still don't know at his age if I'd rush back from an Achilles. And I said this too. I grew up loving and watching Brett Favre play. I think one of his biggest regrets in life is coming back to play for the Vikings because he had to deal with all those concussions at the end of his career that forced him out. You'd hate to see a guy like Aaron Rodgers come back maybe too soon and then his career is going to end too soon because of an injury. You'd like to see a guy like that go out on top. Yeah, John, that, that makes a lot of sense because you're looking at a Jets team. I mean, we just, we just said it. Three and three. They're, they're garnering interest. At least they're, they're watchable. Um, that's kind of all you could have hoped for had you known that Aaron Rodgers was going to go down. So here we are. I mean, at at best, if he can throw the ball, get back in the game, I mean, there's no way you could figure that he could lead them to the Super Bowl after an injury like that. So uh, I, I kind of think Chris is on to something about maybe it's a little smoke and mirrors to kind of keep things going. But you got to give him credit. He's out there. Uh, he, he's, he's positive. You can see the difference he's made. I've never been a huge fan of the guy. But uh, you can see just his presence on the sidelines. Now, you... I think, Curtis, I'm going to stop you for a yeah, second. Go ahead. I apologize for that. No. I think mentally for him, and you guys could chime in on this as we finish this, I think he needed to change the scenery. I think he was in great. I think when, when Ted Thompson stepped down from running the show in Green Bay, I think the writing was on the wall with him, especially when McCarthy was, was uh, let go. I think this was probably the best thing that could have happened to him that he got sent out of there because it was just, he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna finish his career in Green Bay, but he needed, he needed something new and this was the best thing that probably could have happened to him. Yeah, but the problem is he played like four plays and didn't even throw the ball, so it's like he's dying to get back out on the field. And I could just see him saying, hey, I feel good, and then pop, something that you thought was good is, is gone again and, and, now you're back yeah, you're to really square one again, yeah. you know? And it's like he won't – do you have your eyes on next year, or do you think that possibly at 7-7 seven and seven, Aaron Rodgers can take you to the promised land? One of the two has to happen. I think you, uh, personally you sit him out till next year. 
I, I, I don't think I, I, can, I think that. that's a especially think about this too. Late December cold games, and now you you play two weeks of the season in January. Not I like agree. You play and, that one week of January anymore. You play two. You're going to play real deep into January now. So, I just think at some point, you if you have a two year contract on a guy, you got to make sure that he's around for next year. The Jets had a chance to take out an insurance policy on him, and they did not. It would only cost them, I think, between two and five million dollars. And now it's almost like, well, we have this guy, and he's hurt, and we're paying him all this money. Let's just throw him back out on the field, and maybe we can get somewhere. Yeah, no, I would I would leave him out till next year. Agreed. All right, so let's let's change gears here a little bit, John. All right, put the we're going to put the football away. We're going to put on a different helmet. You're going to strap on the skates, and we're going to talk about our New York Islanders. And I was at opening night myself too. I, I, I listen. I, I can't believe we didn't run into each other with the eighteen thousand running around there. I'm, I'm obviously I'm being sarcastic, but what a night that was. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to tomorrow in just a second, but um, that was my first opening night in quite some time. Uh, obviously, my first opening night, uh, you know, admittedly at UBS, uh, electric atmosphere. They did a great job bringing back uh, many alumni and spotlighting them throughout throughout the evening. Um, anything that you took away? Let's just stay opening night. Anything that you took away from opening night that was different that you've seen before that they're trying, or you know, something to to kind of get people involved, or is that kind of just how it's been? Um, you've been to a lot more games at UBS than I have. Um, I do like what they did put on the concourse this year. I don't know if you got you saw the cards, the Islanders, the cards that are out on display. Yes, on the that was that's pretty cool. So I'm a I'm a baseball. I I was a, a, I've collected baseball cards in the past. I have about four books in my house. Um, never really got into it with other sports, but it was cool to look back at those. Some of the looking back on oh, I remember when this one played here, or even if it was for a couple of ga- a couple of games like. Just a random name, like an Eric Goddard, just like yeah. one of those throwbacks from the past. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I did notice that as well. And uh, it, it, it's just great. I mean, every team, obviously, opening night, the fan base is pumped, and, and it's, you know, we're going to go. Everybody right. got the scarves, so yeah, that, was, oh, that we, was a good thing. Which Better was really the magnetic, cool. the, Remember the old magnetic schedules? We don't need those anymore. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you, I wore that scarf today, and I, I was happy I had it. Um, <laughs> so, all right, so let's talk about the team. So, um you know, opening night got up two goals, led up two relatively soft ones, and then and then played a tremendous, I think, uh, ten minutes to, to finish out the game. Probably the, the best ten minutes I've seen in many years out of the team. Uh, shut out Arizona the next game. Then 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 the last two games we've had a couple of hiccups here a little bit with New Jersey. You know, losing five four in overtime, taking so many penalties, and then last night kind of threw out a stinker there again against the Sabers. So in these four games. As as our Islander insider, someone who watches the team, it, it, which team is it so far in the four games? Is it the uh, last ten minutes of opening night and the dominant performance against Arizona, or is it the penalty plagued kind of bumbling squad that we saw in the last two games? Where are we going with this? All right, so I think we got to still give it a few more games because they got the uh, they got the rough end of the start of the season with the schedule with all these days off in between. They didn't play the first game till last Saturday. Yeah, yep. Keep that in mind. Yeah, Buffalo had a game in already, so that was a little rough. I want maybe the next time I come on, we'll be able to answer that one a little better, only because. And then and remember, after they went from Saturday to Tuesday to Friday, that's a lot of days off yeah. in the early part of the season. So, but this week it's back to normal schedule. Tuesday, Colorado. Thursday, Ottawa, and I believe. 
Columbus. Saturday. Yeah, oh, in Columbus. Saturday somewhere, something yep. like that. So I didn't have it off the top of my head, but I know. So now you're kind of in that every other day routine, and I think we'll start to get a bit, and I think you saw that it's like a couple, couple of little hiccups, maybe because they didn't have the amount of games in that, maybe the two extra games that Buffalo has played or whatever. Makes sense. All right, so um, which one do you think is more alarming so far? Um, the the penalty kill, giving up uh, uh, four goals the other night, um, or kind of like that neutral zone puck management, you know? Uh, maybe, I don't want to say. turnovers, yeah. Yeah, like I, yeah. watching uh, the first goal, I think, last night, Adam Pellick went to go drill a guy, missed them, and to give up a goal. They, I think they only officially had like five giveaways, so to speak, in the, in the mid-ice, but that neutral ice puck management was weak, but, man, if your power, if your penalty kill is that bad, we're in for a long season. Well, the Devils are. <laughs> yeah, they can play, they can skate, they can shoot, they can score. We know that. I'll they're they're that an electric pass. team, huh, John? Uh, I'll give that one a pass. I was at that game too. I was like, <laughs> damn, watching those guys skate. It's gonna, it's gonna be a problem if they, if they have to meet them in later in the year, especially in a seven game series. Ask every Ranger fan about that one. But, oh. Uh, what is more alarming to me, honestly, yes, it's the slot plays turnovers, and I'm just waiting to see when it's going to happen, and that's the breakdown of the fourth line because Clutterbuck and Martin just don't look consistent at times. And I, this is the last year of their contracts. We know this is their last hurrah, but it's like when is it going to come to the time where maybe even though Clutterbuck is your alternate captain, mm. maybe it's time to help you scratch him a couple of games. Yep. Who's, uh... Just like last year with Bailey. Yeah. Who, who's been the guy so far that you weren't expecting to, to step up that's done really well? Um, I do like, I do like the way the rest of the defensive unit has looked so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Elias Sorokin's playing out of his mind to start the season. That save he made on Friday night was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely also like the way um, Brock has started the season. We know he loves the month of October, but playing more like a first line guy. And then even just even the chemistry now that we're seeing it because it was so delayed. I think With the chemistry of Barzal and Horvat right. together. Get him a full season. You together. know they could play. You know they could play together. We just didn't see enough of it last year. And then when Barzal came back from injury, they. I mean, Lane Lambert made the right goal at the time to split them up, so you could you could. Um, have them play at their naturals, but now through a whole training camp, I mean, you're seeing what Bullhorn really could be. I mean, going through a full camp now. So, I think we discussed this before the season started, John, as we're going to wrap up here a little bit. Uh, were the Islanders as constructed good enough to, you know, did they have enough sharpshooters where they're going to be able to put the puck in the net? Um, did you want to make in any changes? Um, I think you can always make the argument that, of course, you want another goal scorer in there. But they, the team hasn't even had Oliver Wallstrom on the ice yet, and I, and I think they've they've shown themselves pretty well. When he is, is fully healthy and comes back, I know they're being very uh, very cautious with his knee and, and bringing him back. As they should. Yes. You think he can he can kind of be the the playmaker or scorer that, that can really add to that, or do you see – you know, I, I know we're looking down the road, and we're only four games into the season. But do you think they have to make another trade like they did last year just to bring in one more guy? 
No, and I think they need to, well, and don't, they could, you could always bring in somebody, but I don't think to give up another first round pick. I think you need to hold on to that now. I think it's time to also start to think about restocking Bridgeport, restocking the minor leagues. That's important going forward, but I'll tell you something, a guy who likes to play very well in the second half of the year, and maybe right around the time Wallstrom really starts clicking is when Kyle Palmieri likes to get hot. So yeah. maybe those two together will, uh, will be the juice they need. What they might eventually need mid-year, mid-year could cost a mid-round traffic, and that could maybe be, you never know, an extra piece of depth on defense or an extra piece of depth at the back end of the forwards. But I don't think you're going to do another Bo Horvath trade again. I don't think that's going to happen right now. And I think if something was to happen and you need depth, Zach Parise has said he would come back and play, but I don't think the Islanders want to give him a spot on this team to take away minutes from Wallstrom. I think if an injury was to happen, that's when you would see Parise get a phone call to come back because he is training and wants to play. But I don't. I think he wants a guaranteed spot on the roster, and the Islanders are doing the right thing not offering him one right now because you're getting a look at guys elsewhere. I'm okay with Julian Gauthier as the extra forward because Parise was not willing to do that. So if something happens and you have to bring in somebody who know who could come in and do a few things, fine. That's when I'll bring in Parise. Hey John, one last thing. Um, the power play. We we in last year it was a, sure. a huge issue. We got one this year. <laughs> Um, anything anything you've seen changed? I know we haven't had that many opportunities, less than 10. Now, they're shooting a little bit more, but the one thing that's always important that I think you would have power plays, you you got to take care of the puck. Even if, yes, they, we call them the, the New York passers at times with the power play. We've all seen that quite often. But you want to take care of the puck. You don't want to, those uh, transition plays where you're going to create shorthanded opportunities. You want to be smart with it. And I'm seeing them shoot and get a little aggressive. Those will come. You just got to keep it going. And then maybe, like I said, too, about the Horvat-Barzal combination, the more comfortable they get playing with each other on the same line could also help things such as the power play. Sounds good. John, great stuff as always. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, two two teams really in the Jets and the Islanders where in the next couple of weeks we're going to find out a lot about them. Um, excited, as always, to have you on. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. And hopefully we'll have uh, positive things to say about both groups. Yes, 100%. And then also uh, looking forward to another uh, another basketball season as well, oh, both yeah. the pros and even at the high school levels. We all get started with all our responsibilities there soon. Yes, sir. We'll be, we'll be talking about that as well. John, all the best. Take care, and we'll talk soon. All right, guys. All right, so we've we've hit a lot of different areas here to start out in the first half hour. Cap, it's been great. We're going to take a short break, everybody, and then we'll be back with you on WGBB New York Sports. You are listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, 
back to the show. And welcome back to WGBB Sports Talk New York. Once again, this is your host, Mike Widone, along with Cap, Cappy, Chris Caputo. And we're going to get into a little bit different area here in just a second, but we want to give you the number, 516-623-1240. Again, that's 516-623-1240. We have about 28 minutes left. We want to get as many calls in as possible. You can call us about anything we've talked about, anything that we are going to talk about. We're going to throw out a quick trivia question here. We want to see if anybody out there might be able to start us off on a little bit of a new segment that we have here with with an answer. Uh, but we're going to fire up the hot stove, talk a little Mets baseball here. I promise we will get to the Yankees at some point, not tonight, but in the future. But we we got to talk Mets, and we're going to give you a little bit of a Mets-centric trivia question. So, Cap, take it away. All right, whether you're listening at home uh, on the web or on FM or AM, uh, call in tonight, 516-623-1240. Um, we'll take your call, whatever you want to talk about. If you want to answer the trivia question, we'll chat with you after your answer as well. So here's the trivia question. This player, now retired, was on base for the winning scoring plays of two World Series Game 7s. First, the bottom of the 11th inning in 1997, and then in the ninth inning of Game 7 in the 2001 World Series. So, again, I'll repeat that. This player was on base for the winning scoring plays, the walk-offs, of two World Series Game 7s. Bottom of the 11th in the 1997, hint, uh, Indians-Marlins, and then the ninth inning of Game 7, Yankees-Diamondbacks in 2001. Who was on base? In both of those situations, again, hint might have a little bit of Met centric. Now I know we have we have some guys out there and girls, hopefully, that are either going to look this up or definitely have an interest in this question. So we better hear from some of you, and you know who you are. But getting to the Mets, all right. So we're gonna we're gonna bring out a name here, David Stearns. Every time I hear his name, I think of David Stern, the former NBA commissioner. But David Stearns, right. obviously a young guy taking over the Mets putting his stamp on everything. Now, before he officially took over the team, Cap, they made the decision, or the decision was made, either by him or through the back channels, that they were not going to bring back Buck Showalter as the manager. Um, I have my own thoughts on that, so I have two questions for you. Number one, uh, was that a done deal even before you think David Stearns was signed, sealed, and delivered? And number two, um, what do you think about it being done before he officially took over? Um, I think that Buck, that decision was probably made by multiple people in-house, that I think it was just time for a change. And I think Steve knew that he was going in a direction in the upper management to change things, and they were going to want their own new person anyway. Now, could they possibly keep somebody from in-house? Sure, but I don't think, I really don't think that anybody, a bench coach, a guy that's a scout with them, uh, would would definitely be in line for that. I think the Mets could take somebody with no experience, but it would be outside the organization. I just think it got to the point with Buck where it worked last year, it didn't work this year, and they kind of had to move on. And I don't know if David Stearns, because he was really employed by the Brewers, although not really um, up until that time, I don't know if he had anything to do with it, but, you know, Buck didn't want to step down. Like, they no. said to him, hey, like, 
we're we're going to end this. And he's like, okay, then fire me. Like, I, yeah. I, I want to stick this out. I think some of the players respected him. But I think sometimes, you know, teams are just looking to go in another direction. I got to give him a lot of credit because I think the team itself, when they started making all the trades, and it wasn't, it wasn't a sell-off, as they said, but then it obviously became one, uh, that he was able to keep that ship afloat and not just have them completely go under. And also, you know, your, your veterans, Francisco Lindor, uh, Pete Alonso, they did. They stepped up and said, hey, we like this guy. We love this guy. He, we're, we're thriving under him, and, and they threw their support his way. So I, I, I give him the utmost credit for that because I think it just would have been so easy to take that step back uh, in, in August and be, throw his hands up and go, hey, what am I going to do with this team? Um, and, and that didn't happen. There wasn't a lot of drama. There could have been. And and it was it was entertaining baseball. I think he did a, an admirable job also of getting the kids in the line. Do you think he could have done a little bit more with that? Um, I think once everything happened and, you know, the GM winds up leaving for whatever the reason is that the GM can no longer be there because supposedly guys were going on the injured list when he wasn't, when they weren't injured. But there was other stuff behind it, like it came out that Buck was told he needed to play Daniel Vogelback against right-handed pitchers as a DH. Buck was told he had to do other things that he didn't necessarily want to do. So I don't know if Buck would have let some of the uh, younger players play or if he actually was maybe trying to get some of those older guys in the lineup. I'm not sure. I think he probably tried to do the best he could. But it did seem at some point going down the stretch last 45 games that he was – almost a robot for other people telling them what to do. Because it really didn't matter, Mike, how many games the Mets won at that point. I was actually rooting for the Mets to lose because for draft, yeah, draft, draft status. And, yeah. you know, it wound up, it came down to that last game of the season that was supposed to be made up because of a, a, a rain out. The Mets actually got the win uh, because it went back to one nothing. I was like, oh, no, now they might drop. But <laughs> supposedly they stayed um, – right around that sixth spot, so there's a chance that they could wind up with a high spot. But I don't think Buck, um, I don't think he was positive or negative towards the last 45 games. I think the Mets players actually played hard for themselves, and they made it actually pretty interesting down the stretch. Uh, but, again, if you don't have the horses, you're not going to win. That's a great point. 516-623-1240 is the number if you'd like to call in, talk about the Mets or anything else on Sports Talk New York. So, Cap. As we head into the hot stove edition of the New York Mets, and, and pretty much you know every team out there pretty soon, we got some exciting uh, championship series, as you mentioned before. I think two areas we got to talk about here with the Mets before we move on is starting pitching and a true DH. I think they need, obviously they have to address both those areas. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like some people say, can you just go with, Oh, this guy plays DH one day, and then you give Alonzo off, and he plays DH. I don't think so. I think you got to get somebody in here who's just known for his bat. I don't think you're going to steal J.D. Martinez away from yeah. the Dodgers. That was a guy I wish they had. I don't think you're going to get – I mean, it would be – I think it suits the Mets, and I know this is going to sound crazy, to have Shohei Otani be the DH next year because you don't need him to pitch. I right. think you can go out there and find other things. But are you going to get him on a discount now, and is he willing to come to the East Coast? And having him as the DH would solidify kind of what's going on. And then it's, hey, you know, we could go get Aaron Nola. We could go get, you know, another pitcher. And we don't need to rely on Shohei. And then when somebody's contract expires the next year, maybe he becomes a pitcher for you. But 
I don't think you could sit there and say, we're going to throw this player into the lineup and allow Vientos one day and Alonzo the next day and Brett Beatty the next day and Alvarez the day off as the DH. I don't think you could do that. I think it's got to be a set lineup, and you got to get yourself a guy who's going to be a threat in the lineup to hit home runs, a threat on the bases. And um, I think that shows. If you look what's 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 still out there right now, that's those teams are winning because they have a DH. So you brought up Shohei Otani, probably one of, if not the greatest free agents ever on the market. I mean, he's obviously going to command the highest salary ever. Um, what's the legit, the legitimate chances that the Mets are in play, number one? And number two, if we're looking at a trade, name that's been floated out there a little bit is Jeff McNeil. So let's let's go with Shoei first, and then what, what would you think about moving on from Jeff McNeil? I mean, I could see it happening. Um, the Mets signed him to a relatively cheaper contract last year. The Shohei, let's start with that. I, I I think the it's probably somewhere in the ten percent range, and mainly because I think he's happy on the West Coast, sure. And I think he's going to want to stay out there. Now, is he really going to stay with Anaheim? I think he'll, he'll give it a shot, but I think Anaheim's more in like the rebuilding stage. If anything, I could see the Mets doing a trade with Anaheim to bring in some of their veteran players, and the Mets maybe giving up. Uh, a Brett Beatty, a Jose Budo, you know, they're looking for those type of players, whereas I think the Mets might bring in some guys who have expiring contracts, but for one year could give them something. Shohei Otani, I just I, I just don't see him coming out here. Um, I don't think he's going to give anybody a discount either. No, no. Uh, if he comes to the East Coast, I would say the two teams that have a shot are the Mets and the Red Sox, because I think those are, you know, he could hit. He could hit, you know, the short portion in, in Fenway and, you know, hitting it off the wall. Oh, yeah. On the other side, I think he could hit well there. But I think he would think about those things before he went somewhere. Like, where am I going to excel? Um, and, and it might have to be a ballpark as well. Now, on, on the trade front, one name that, that has come up is Juan Soto from San Diego. Yeah. I think he – now, again, I don't know if he, after bouncing around – Going there he, to San Diego, he, he's done okay. You know, obviously he's a, he's a big time player. Um, would he be the the answer for the Mets to to bring in? And if you can't get Shoei, would you would you kind of go all out to get a guy like him, or just just put the other pieces in place and and go with what you got? I think if you told me two years ago when he was on the trade block, or maybe three years ago when he was a young player, is this the Mets player that they need? Sure, but. You know, time goes on, and some of these guys don't hold on to their consistency and longevity. And at 24 years old, I'm a little bit worried about where Juan Soto is right now. Um, he's been on two teams. He's kind of he struck out a lot. He's got a little flair that I think, based off of, hey, you can't step out of the box as many times. I think some of that was like his in- intimidation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's the if he's the fit for the Mets and. Um, you know, I think for the most part, the Mets need right-handed bats. I think uh, they need some guys to to support Pete in the lineup. And I don't know if, if, if that's the greatest fit. But if you're not giving up much and you could bring him in and, and you know, maybe kind of rekindle things, maybe he wants to be in New York, I think that might might help. But I don't think it's the, uh, the end-all and be-all. But honestly, I'm not really sold, Mike, on how much is in the Mets farm system that's going to come up and, and, and do things right away. You know, I saw enough out of Mark Vientos to say, yeah, it's 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 not it's all iffy. I wanted, but 
Am I happy with Mauricio? Oh. I, I, I think this kid's a stud. Do I think that, uh, you know, Acuna Jr. Jr. is going to be a great player? Give it two years, sure. Yeah. You know, we've got uh, Parada's a good catcher. We've got other guys down there that I think are going to come up soon. It's just a matter of what's Steve going to do this year to kind of get through this year without spending too much money but still make the Mets a competitive team. It could happen. But look at the teams in the playoffs. I mean, they're not right now in the. They're they're not bringing up young kids and telling them to to win the whole year for them. Uh, the Diamondbacks kind of did, mm-hmm. but they also brought in some veterans to to try and get them through. So I don't think Juan Soto would be the answer right now. Maybe in another year. Well, next year is going to be a very interesting year in Flushing, as you mentioned, just about what direction they go. Um, two years down the the road, I think the the sky's the limit. Uh, Shohei Otani is a is a Wild card for sure, uh, but it's going to be interesting. Last Mets question okay. as, we, as we're as we going to switch gears here again in just a moment. Uh, Pete Alonzo, will he be signed long-term? I don't think he'll be signed before the season long-term. I think he plays it out. Unfortunately, I don't think he also gets traded. I think, uh, unfortunately, he's going to be on a lame duck contract next year. I just don't – I just I think at this point he wants to weigh his options, and I don't think the Mets are willing to trade him. It's just kind of – where I see it right now. Does he deserve to be paid? Sure. But I think the Mets know that they can't overpay for Alonzo at this point. If they were going to do that, they would have done it a year ago. And he's got Scott Boras now as his agent, yeah, correct? Which, uh, is, any of you people have ever heard that name before, which I'm sure most of you have, in uh, in baseball settings, he is a tough cookie to deal with. But I don't think that's a bad thing for the Mets, because the Mets have dealt with Boras in the past. True. Great point. All right. So we... we we put the coals out on the hot stove of baseball, and now we turn up the heat here, literally with the New York Knicks. I think it's going to be interesting here. Now, uh, after making the playoffs, adding a little bit, I think this is going to be interesting. So, Mike, what's your initial feeling um, with the Met? With the you know now the Knicks kind of taking a little bit of center stage, and the and the Nets kind of going back a step. Yeah of how the Knicks are constructed in their roster and their coaching staff based on their experience last year going into 2023-24? I don't, I don't mean to sound doom and gloom. I really don't because I, I was so happy with, with the way the Knicks played last year, tough, gritty, um, everything you wanted. But i got to be honest, I'm a little worried about this roster, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, they didn't address... All that much. Now, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, good player, can shoot the three, uh, hopefully can defend a little bit. Uh, he brings that Villanova connection. You know, the, the one thing you can always say about a Villanova player is that they are they were coached in all facets of the game. Now, going forward, I don't know, but the Jay Wright guys, you, know, you, you can say that. So having him on the team, definitely a plus. Um, you know, re-signing Josh Hart, I think that, w- that was a, a good one as well. But after that, you know, I, I don't know. Are we looking at hopefully R.J. Barrett taking the next leap into kind of that junior superstar uh, status, which I think he's he's possible to to have? Um, Emmanuel quickly. I mean, I think he's another one. Uh, I don't know if he's trade bait or whatever. He's a great six man. Six man this year. Yeah, could but be six man of the year. He could be. So if they play their cards right, and Thibodeau. Uh, he's you know he was already complaining about uh, you know defense and different things, but that that's coach speak as we both know that that's what guys do. Um, 
But, you know, while everything's going well, Tibbs is, is, is a popular guy. But when, you know, things break down a little bit with a veteran group, they could maybe sour and turn on him quickly, which I really don't think happened. Yeah. will happen. But, uh, I, again, their hands were a little tied in terms of uh, making some moves. But I, I think a lot depends. Jalen Brunson had, had a, a career year last year. Hopefully he continues with that. But I really think a lot hinges on R.J. Barrett. Yep. Once again, 516-623-1240. we got some time for your calls. Anything you want to talk about New York sports. Uh, we're talking about the Knicks right now. And I think, Mike, one of the things that uh, last year hindered them was a little too much one-on-one play. And when you get to the playoffs, some of that stuff, you need more teamwork. You need a second and a third and a fourth option. Um, the Knicks had the NBA's lowest regular season assist percentage last year. Wow. And and with Brunson at the helm, it's almost like he's got to break guys down and he has to do the scoring. If he could find and have confidence in Barrett and Randall's not dribbling the ball 17 times <laughs> before he takes a fadeaway jumper, right. then maybe I think this year will be benefited from the Dante DiVincenzo's hitting a shot. No more Evan Fournier playing three minutes off the bench. Josh Hart, probably one of the best offensive rebounders at his height. You know, these guys all kind of starting to gel together. They even have Ryan Archidiacono to have, oh, wow. to have four uh, Villanova players on, on the team now. They brought him back from Chicago. Okay. Um, so I could see Jay Wright taking over at some point and just being like, this is my squad. Could you imagine that? I would be psyched about that. I mean, that wouldn't that just be like the the big thing of just being like, hey, I could do it in college, and I'm going to do it here. I'm going to start with you guys, and then get you know other guys. I don't know what it is. There a coach out there who could take over a team tomorrow, and a year later, free agents like I want to go play for him. Wow. I know Popovich is that type, yeah. and he wants to stick around for maybe a couple more years for you know a new player. But they're the work they're Probably the second worst team in the NBA this year, behind the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Um, but is there a coach out there who you think, like somebody, be like, I want to play for him, and if they show success over this year, I'll go play for him next year. That's a very good question. I mean, Jay Wright is at the top of the list for sure. A name that keeps getting thrown out there all the time, and he he did flame out during his time as an NBA coach many many years ago, is John Calipari. Now, I think he's learned a lot in terms of how to deal with players and, and the media and whatever else. I mean, he's in Kentucky. Would he want to leave? Um, I think I think yes, because I think he's done everything he can do. He doesn't have certain advantages anymore, quote-unquote. You know, now it's NIL, and I, I think Kentucky basically had NILs going on like every other place yeah, before. before that. Yeah, uh, but – it's it's a very interesting playing field. You know, for NBA guys, there's all sorts of retreads out there. But, yeah, to get you pumped up, I mean, I think Jay Wright, you could see he was he was, he was was burnt. He needed some time. It was everything to do with the transfer portal. That's why he left. And I think that's why Krzyzewski got out. Now, would guys come back to play Krzyzewski when they've already played for him for Team USA? Um, if he stepped in, you know, I don't know if there's that type of coach out there that people – would be like wow this would be this would be the one and i also think it would have to be the right place obviously i don't think people would go to oklahoma city to play for right. you know some random person but i think the situation with jay wright in new york i think in philly would be a great situation uh, but i don't know where philly is but let's just talk 
quickly about the East. Who else in the East do the Knicks have to kind of play against? I think there's so many strong teams in the West. And you're looking at basically Boston and who else in the East? Well, I mean, well, obviously yeah. now the Bucks. Would yeah, the Bucks have made a big, yeah, game. big move. But you know what? Look, it's been proven time and time again. You can put together an all-star team on the floor, or you know, two, two stars, three, the big three, whatever. They still have to play in jail. I mean, I think that was a, a genius move because you, Giannis, on the Bucks, was always double teamed. And guys were able to get the ball, it, it had to knock down shots, but you know he was always facing double teams. In the preseason, one of the first things that happened in the first game was that uh, Damian Lillard now was double teamed and Giannis was open, and and he said after the game he was like, he he never has experienced anything like that recently, because it's like pick your poison. So they're they're going to be a dangerous group. I mean for sure. Yeah, but I think it gives the Knicks this year with the Sixers being down. Uh, maybe the Cavs. I don't know where the Cavs are going to stand. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that was their Achilles last year trying to get through them. Um, the Heat, I think anytime you throw Jimmy Butler out there, are going to be good. But I think the East is down this year, and I think it gives the Knicks a shot to be in the top. I mean, at this point, you don't even have to be in the top eight. You just got to be in the top ten to make the playoffs. But putting themselves in a situation where they can be one of the best teams in the East. And then come trade deadline maybe they go after somebody you know put another score i just unfortunately i think debbie downer over there you i think <laughs> i'm gonna add to that with julius randall on this yeah. roster i just don't see it people are like oh he's got to come back i just don't see how he started this season with them i thought after last season it was just a well a done deal and one of the things that that we brought up on this program was that fans after the last game were walking down fifth avenue ripping his poster now i mean look we're all big boys and, and big girls here, but that's got a way in your mind too. I, I think once you know he can smile all he wants, but once he starts hearing some booze early on in the season, he might be like, "Get me out of here," because yeah. he doesn't feel the love. Yeah, but I think if if they're winning, it'll be okay. Um, and, and true, yeah, that that heals everything. He doesn't have to be the superstar this year, I don't think, with some of the extra pieces. But some of these other guys definitely need to step up. I think Quigley is going to be the sixth man of the year if they are successful. How great was it though? that the Miami Heat were not able to trade for Damian Lillard and get him on the cheap, number one, but also Pat Riley, the Heat culture. I mean, I, listen, I loved Pat Riley. We both did back in the 90s when he was he took over the Knicks, and he, they, he got them as close as they ever could be to being a legit championship contender. But he, he that just that smug Pat Riley down in Southeast look, I get whatever I want. He didn't get it this time, and – Brought in nothing else. I think I think the Heat are due for a major step backwards. Yeah, they lost two players, uh, Gabe Vincent and and Max Struess, who actually was playing well. Those guys moved on, but um, you know I think they pursued Damian Lillard as like this is our stopgap, and they didn't get that. But I think that whole division is down, so I think they're still going to be the top of whatever is left over. All right, so we got five minutes left, or just under five. We got a little bit of time. Five one six six two three twelve forty. If you if you call in, Chris, do me a favor. Read the trivia question. Read that one more, more time. time. Yeah, you can. Uh, you can if you if you know me, you can even join me at a Mets game this year if you get it right. All right. So, All right. I like and, that. and if you don't, then uh, we'll have a conversation on the air. Okay. This player now retired was on base for the winning scoring run of two World Series game sevens. First, in the bottom of the eleventh, he scored the game winning run 
in the 1997 World Series, and then in the ninth inning of Game 7 of 2001, he was hit by pitch uh, by Mariano Rivera and then was on base for Luis Gonzalez's game-winning hit. If you know the answer, 516-623-1240. Yeah, I, I, try, I guessed Gonzalez, but then you corrected me and said that he was, he was the hitter. Last thing I'd like to finish up with. Uh, and this is this is a little personal question for you, which I'm sure you're going to be happy to answer. So, in the NBA, you have a connection to a player, Kevin Herter, who is a sharpshooting, I guess, would you say guard or forward? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, he's a tall dude. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely a guard. So, Cap Cap's very modest, but he he knows Kevin very well from his younger days when he was upstate. Um, you have a family connection with him as well. Um, in dealing with him, you, you've you've kept in touch with him. Is he as down to earth as he seems? Oh, yeah. we got a call coming in here too. Yeah, Kevin's a good kid. All right. Um, I uh, I think Kevin has, has stayed loyal. Um, you know, it's nice to see some of these players as uh, as time goes on, kind of give back to their community. Uh, he helps set up within his own community. Um, you know, like a a big kind of like island garden type place where you can play basketball. And, um, you know, it, it's nice to see still friends with people in the community. And um, he's in a good spot. Sacramento's a good spot for him. Uh, unfortunately, that division is going to be really tough this year with the Suns, Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, and Sacramento Kings. But, yeah, it's fun. I, I, I like seeing kids succeed. Yeah, it's great. He seems like it. All right, so we, we got two minutes left. we got to wrap it up. we got John in the car. He's on the phone with us. He joins us now. John, welcome aboard. Hey, guys. How are you? Good show today. I enjoyed it. What's up, pal? Appreciate it. Hey, so Craig Council is the guy that Kathy's looking for there. (laughs) That's right. Craig Council. So what's the connection to the Mets, John? uh, He's he's apparently in the running to be the manager with with Stearns, but I'm down on the Mets. I'm down on Stearns. I'm down on Council. I'm down on the whole thing. So I hope it's not Council, but... He might be the best option based on all the names that I'm hearing. So give me the – what can we make it positive, John? How can, how can I'm we make not it sh- I, I, you know, I guess I'll have to see what Stern's plans are. I don't – you know, the, the kids that came up outside of Alvarez, there was really none of them that I thought were, you know, overly impressive. Mauricio was good in September, but, you know, as, as Met fans, we've seen a lot of guys come up and have big Septembers and then never to be seen or heard from again. All right, John, thanks for calling in. Yeah, we appreciate it. Hey, join us next time for sure. Folks, it's been a great hour. It was great to have Cappy here, Chris Computer, with us. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to Sports Talk New York. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And uh, let's go Giants, let's go Jets, and Islanders and Knicks. Hey, get off the good starts. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.